Hello again, Pastor Deborah here, and this is another basic class of the King's International Spiritual Care University. Remember, you are in classes in a university where your heart must be registered up in heaven to be a seeker and to learn. All your tests will be taken out in the world with people. And there's only two grades, pass or fail, that doesn't cost you anything except it costs you everything. To be helping people the Lord's way, you will have to change all your thoughts, your ideas, your concepts, your way of thinking, which you believe was correct, what maybe your denomination or your religion taught you was how you help people. This is a spiritual journey where you will be spiritually learning and growing how to help people the Lord's way. This is Pastor Deborah's journey, and it was a pretty intensive one. It went by topics, it went on for years, it had lots of personal experience where I could relate to what I studied. I read a lot. I watched a lot of movies, watched a lot of sermons, went to many different churches, denominations. I missed it a lot. I failed the test, and I had to go back and study again. This one, as you can see on the board, on my lovely whiteboard in my beautiful frame, is basic ancient priesthood. Now, what that meant was, I didn't really hear that term at first. What I heard was, pray for people. Be on the prayer team. Come to the intercession. Intercede for others. Come to the church's night of prayer. That's sort of how it was presented to me. Oh, I'd been praying my whole life since I was four, down on my knees, by my bed every night, praying that very simple prayer that I told you before, but I'll tell you again. Dear Jesus, I pray my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Bless my mommy and my daddy and my brother and all the people of the world. Amen. That was my simple child's prayer. Now at that time, nobody was had taught me at four what I was actually doing. So as I grew and I put down my license, my understanding of being a mental health counselor, trying to help people with very severe emotional problems, psychiatric problems, trauma abuse, uh, ritual abuse, I had to learn a whole new way. I had to first discover that the only way that my prayers could work and they would be heard if I was in the spirit had the heart of agape love, not only for the Father, but for the Father's purposes, 
for his intent for what he wanted done on earth. I also had to have a love, a deep love, for those who are the most evilest, wickedest, unlovingest, unkind, most hateful people around the world. No matter what they did to animals, to nature, to children, to babies, no matter if they were a politician, a governor, a prime minister, I had to love them with the same love that the Father had. And that love was shown to me when he sent himself, his own image and likeness, in the form of flesh. And it was sent into the spirit being, which was the original design for all of humanity called Christ. It had the Holy Spirit inside of its spirit. It was one with its Father. It did what he was told to do. The Father and this Spirit called Christ were in a partnership. And this God, through the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit being, all were inside a dirt body. Must have been awful crowded, I thought. It was, okay. That was the pattern that I had to learn. So now I'm stepping in. Well, I saw people praying for each other. And I saw people asking for prayer. And I saw people coming down to the prayer altar praying. I saw people interceding for hours. And it, I had no concept of how this was going to help people. So off as you know, I had to go on a study. I started back in the beginning, and I realized early on with this first creature named Adam, there was no prayer meetings. There was no intercession. There was no praying for anybody else. This creature, this being, this Adam, had some intimate, close relationship with this voice, this God in the garden. And that is how it is supposed to be. But, as we know, something happened. Adam disobeyed. And he fell from that glorious place and this relationship with his God. He became afraid of it. As we know, the story goes, he hid behind a tree, got embarrassed about his physical body that he could now see. He no longer was innocent, so he put those fig leaves on there. It didn't work too good, but he tried. And when God caught up with him, he asked him, where are you? Now, God knew where he was, but he wanted to see what this Adam would say. Well, I'm over here hiding behind the tree, hiding from you. I'm afraid now because I know I disobeyed you. My conscience told I didn't do what you told me to do. I'm afraid. So fear came in. Uh, sin came in. Disobedience came in. So now this relationship was totally changed. There was fear between Adam and his creator. So much fear he had to hide from him. So much shame and guilt he had to hide. He tried to hide his male parts and the female tried to hide her body. 
all with leaves or something. Well, that did not satisfy God, so he went and killed a animal in the garden. Nobody knows what kind it was. Skinned it and put these animal skins on it. We can see throughout history with man, our early uh, forefathers going around in animal skins uh, as their clothes. And that's a good picture of sort of what we wore. We used to take the hides of animals, make clothes out of them. <clears throat> we used the leather of their skins and things like that. So somehow we had to cover up. And as you know, the story went, we got cast out. Even Cain, who killed his brother Abel after this, got cast out of the presence. And a fear of death and suicide and murder came on us that God had to mark us that said, no human being has a right to kill you, Cain. Only I. You've only disobeyed me. So there was a mark on Cain because they had only disobeyed this God and his rules. So from that position, which was all messed up, this wonderful relationship between this Adam and this creator was destroyed now. Separated, fear had come in, shame and guilt and dishonor, no light, then cast out of his presence completely, wearing animal skins. Oh my gosh, it was a mess. So from that place, God knew he had to, was gonna to have to start rebuilding it's going to have to start working with Adam and humanity's soul. The spirit of him had sunk down in such darkness into the flesh. And the flesh was living now. It was the controller. It was the king. It was the head. The spirit was no longer alive to God, could not receive anything of God, and was living in a, a land of darkness was death and dumb, lame and spiritually a mess. So all God had to work with for a long time in humanity was flesh. So what he started doing, he started teaching, started renewing, started helping humanity to learn some things that they never had learned before. He was taking them back he was imprinting into their flesh ideas, concepts that they had not learned. So now he began. And as we know, the story goes, it got real bad. Noah had to come along. The earth got wiped out by a flood. Eventually, God started over again with Abraham. And eventually his 12 sons went into Egypt. They survived. They came out. Now we got to Moses. Now God says, I'm going to do another work. Okay? I'm going to show myself off. I'm going to fight a battle against the demonic gods of Egypt. Satan was inside of Pharaoh. And he represented Pharaoh. And he was trying to show them even the flesh, the spirit, the soul. Everything was in bondage to Pharaoh. So what God had to do was he had to start showing the people who he was, who they were. He started delineating all the different aspects and positions that he had, trying to help them. And one of them that came out of it was after they got free from Pharaoh, 
God had shown Moses this temple. We don't know exactly how Moses saw it. Did he go to heaven? Was it just an open vision to Moses on the mountain? But he came back and built this thing that had, was, had to be built very specifically. And then God designated that one of the tribes uh, would be the priest. Now, what I had to learn in helping people that a priest was very important. We have priests, as you'll know, in every religion, every faith. They're out there. What the priest did by lots of studying was God was preparing for his son to come. And to, he was going to show him what he was going to do. Then he was going to show us how he had desired to take his people, which happened to be at that time the Jewish people in the natural, and to turn everybody into spiritual Jews, which the word Jew actually to God meant jewelry. Man, I want to make you a, a, a like a gold necklace. I want to wear you. I want you to be jewelry around my neck, on my arms. And so Jew is actually short for jewelry. Uh, the word Hebrew actually meant wanderer. So what happened was God was starting to build identity, purposes, concepts to the Israelites and how this relationship they were to have with him. Now, they couldn't have it like they did in the garden because they did not have inside of them the reconnection, the Holy Spirit yet. They were just flesh, just carnal, natural men. So all he was working with was the soul. So now he said, okay, Moses, I gave you the vision. I gave you the pattern. Have people. I'll help them. I'll give them skills and abilities, and we'll make this. Then what I want you to do I'm going to set aside some of the people temporarily to be a priesthood. He said, but I want to make the whole Jewish nation and then eventually the whole world a royal priesthood, a royal nation unto me. Now what that meant was when you are a priest, people would come to you. They would bring an animal sacrifice and they would talk to you. You as the priest would slay the sacrifice, spread the blood around as you were told, and that would be forgiveness of sins. And it was how the people who were not connected yet back to God could get this connection. The priests were anointed with oil, set apart, lived differently, did not have the same lives, they did not inherit land, they lived a more spiritual type of life. We see that played out a lot in the Catholic Church with the nuns and the monks, how they went off from society. Some of them just prayed, but they did uh, services and they married people and things like that. So <clears throat> one of the main characteristics was God had to set the person apart. It's usually a family. And they were to be ministers unto him on behalf of the people. So God at this time was not going to let just anybody come in his presence, anybody talk to him. He wasn't just going to let anybody handle this blood of this 
innocent sacrifice to hear these prayer requests from the people. He was going to have an intermediary between the masses of people and himself. And that's what the priests became. And I had to learn this slowly. I, I kind of did a switcheroo, sort of. In this church that was having this revival, Brownsville, they had a prayer team. And what the prayer team did is after the evangelist, which was Steve Hill, who's now in heaven, did his preaching, gave an altar call to come down to the altar and get your life right with God. Get saved. If you were doing sin, come down and confess it and get it out. Then after that, everybody stood up and a group of people who had been uh, taken an application, been interviewed, their life story had been heard, they had been approved, they then came out with little notebooks <clears throat> called What Now? And it was some people were getting saved for the first time, believing in Christ for the first time. Some were coming back. Some had been what they called backslidden. So if you got accepted to be on the prayer team, which I went through the application, I thought I was just going to do the altar call. But lo and behold to me, I was also to lay hands on people. Oh, that scared me. So a, what happened was you had to be approved that the people and the pastor had to pray over you. And God had to say, yes, I've chosen them. So then you got on the prayer team, and there were a lot of rules. You had rules about your clothes. If you were a female, you could not wear pants unless you wore a jacket that covered you up in the front and the back. Men had to wear their shirts tucked in. They, we couldn't chew gum. We could not pray in what they call the spiritual language when we were talking to people. Uh, we had to have soft voices. We couldn't be rough and loud. We couldn't say certain things. Uh, we had to be there uh, early, have a little prayer time. Steve would come back to the prayer room and he would talk with us about how God is doing. He would pray for us. He would encourage us. And we would then go and sit behind Steve, usually in the where the choir was, and we would wait. And then when he was finished, we would go and we would wait till after he gave the altar call. And then we would filter out. Girls were with girls, men were with men. And what happened was you got experience in listening, asking some questions spiritually, gently, quietly talking to people assessing what kind of prayer or speaking to God needed to happen. We also were trained not to back people up against the wall, point your finger at them, pray in these, what they would call the spiritual language, be loud. We were to be very quiet and conservative. So that was one part of being a priest. Then what happened is the second part of that interview was then in the revival you had a partner and you would go and somebody would come up to you and you would ask him, would you like God to touch you and if so that one of the persons would be in the front maybe me or I'd be in the back and I would take my hand and just lightly 
touch their forehead and say, touch them, Lord. Another part of being a priest, but I didn't know it at the time. And what was happening, God's presence that was inside of me, the Holy Spirit would explode and come through me, through my physical body, and touch them. Sometimes they would fall and the person behind them would catch them. Sometimes they just stood there. But I saw a lot of interference for even being touched by God. I saw a lot of fear. I saw people chewing gum that would distract them and I'd have them spit it out and put it in my hands. I'd have a husband and a wife hang on tight to each other. We separated their hands. I had people get up there and just start chanting and praying in that heavenly language and working it up. I say, don't, you don't have to do anything. Because a lot of people have been taught you have to work this up. And you have to get into an emotional frenzy. And that was God touching you, but it wasn't. God was gentle. Everybody reacted differently. But I ran into that as a priest and ran into that as a prayer team member. So then when I started learning, well, what is going on? Remember, I had received this prayer. Then I turned around and I was, it was coming through me. So I learned that a priest was a very powerful person. He seemed to have a different relationship with God than the average believers did. Uh, they seemed to be more sensitive to him. They seemed to be more uh, in tune with him, have a better relationship for whatever reasons. So then what happened in this priesthood studying the ancient priesthood, I read in the Old Testament back in, let me see, I think it was, I have to look at my notes, Exodus 19.6 where God was actually telling Moses, I want to do something with you guys. I want to make you a nation of royal priests, a royal nation, so that you can minister unto me on behalf of everybody else. See, God was requiring us back then, the flesh, to minister to him. And here's how the pattern worked. When somebody came to me, I as the priest, the prayer team person, who is supposed to have a deep and close relationship with God, I was supposed to understand how to talk to God, know I was in a holy place. I was like in the uh, old tabernacle. Somebody had come in, brought a sacrifice. I was to listen to them. And then I was to take their request, their offering, in prayer to the Lord. So what happened was I was also had to learn how to handle the blood of the sacrifice, which nowadays is not an animal. It is Jesus Christ himself. I had to also know that I was a minister unto God to be help God reconcile himself to humanity. I was this go-between. Sometimes people are born again, but they're babies, and they're so still in the flesh, it's only their flesh that's talking to God. They haven't quite grown up, so their spirit is doing no work. 
So once you were on the prayer team, you were set apart as being a little bit more mature, a little bit whatever you were doing in your life. Uh, you were a little closer, had a closer relationship with God. You could talk to Him. He could talk to you. He would hear your prayers, and He would answer them. And so the priesthood was becoming more clear to me. I was to one minister in prayer to God. I was to love on him. I was to be sensitive to him, to his emotions, his desires. I was to minister on earth his purposes for humanity. I was to minister to him so that he would get what he wanted. He is the one who wanted to touch people. He is the one that wanted to help people. He was the one who was coming down here and trying to reconcile all of humanity to himself. So my beginnings began on a church's prayer team. And I tell everybody that, I, that does outreach ministry or even in a church, they need to volunteer and get on the church's prayer team. They need to take intercession classes and learn all about prayer and what different kinds of prayer there are. They need to learn what will hinder prayer. Why aren't prayers answered? And what is going on? What What is this relationship? Because for a long time, many people will come to you like they came to me and they still do. They want prayer. They're coming to a priest saying, help me, I don't have the relationship to God, he doesn't hear me or I can't hear him. I don't know what to say, nothing's changing. So they come to somebody who they believe has a deeper relationship with this God. That's what the priest was. They believe he studied, somehow there's a difference. It would be like a child coming to an adult saying, could you drive me somewhere in the car because I can't drive yet. So I had went and I studied books on prayer. I listened to sermons on YouTube. I read books. I practiced it. I read prayers out of books. I'm learning and discovering the priesthood. I'm learning about the responsibilities, the anointing that was on them, the responsibilities that I will be held to, which is tougher and much more responsible than the average person. I recognized my life would be different from the Israelites. When he chose the, I think it was the family of Levi to be the priest. And this was a thing, a lifelong thing. They didn't live like everybody else. They didn't have land as inheritance. They sort of lived off of people. But their whole life was to minister in the temple, care for the temple, care for the people, slay the animals, handle the blood properly. And then once a year we learned that there was a great uh, a high priest and he would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies. And he would go in there and he would minister to God, speak to him, bring the sins the concerns, 
he would ask this God to forgive the nation. And it was just him. And God said, I'm in there. I'm in that ark. But only one guy can come in once a year. Because remember, these were all flesh creatures. And there was a lot of rituals about being clean and being anointed. And God was trying to show the flesh something that spiritually was supposed to happen. But it hadn't happened yet. So he was training the flesh to live a certain way. So in the priesthood, there is an identity with it. There is a responsibility with it. And what happens is, this was from ancient days. And it was all about how to deal with people who were not following the laws of God, that were in sin and rebellion, were not living right with their neighbors. And these people wanted to have blessings and the land to produce. They wanted protection from their enemies. We even see this great prayer to a God in the book of Ruth. If you watch the movie with Stuart Granger uh, called Ruth, when they're going to go and kill this little child, sacrifice it to Moloch, the little prayer that she prayed, that she was taught, was protect us from our enemies, keep us safe, let the crops produce, bless us, and then came the, the blood sacrifice. It was always the priest, usually, who was dedicated that would kill the child. And then they would throw the child's body into the arms, to the fire of Moloch. And they believed in their own twisted way, dark way, that sacrifice of an innocent thing, prayer to this God, was what was required to keep them safe, healthy, blessed, and protection. And they did that once a year. Now, where did that come from? Long histories of sacrifice. So what the priesthood in the ancient priesthood was, God picked out of the Jewish people a certain family. They were to handle the blood of the sacrifice. They were to listen to the request of the people. They were to take that to the Lord. They were to live a certain life. They were not to be as other people and desire what that other people got. And they were to minister unto God himself on behalf of the people. So I started learning this. Got a lot of experience with it on the prayer team. Heard a lot of things. I had to learn how to talk to people in a sweet, loving way. Had to learn to listen. Couldn't pray in tongues, that was not allowed. Couldn't lay hard, heavy hands on the people. Really, sometimes didn't even touch them because I recognized many people had been sexually and violently abused and a hand was very threatening to them. We always had to carry around Tic Tacs or Altoids. They wanted our breath to smell nice. They didn't even want the females or the men to wear any kind of perfumes. They wanted nothing that would interfere with these people and their faith or belief in reaching God. 
So then from there, I had to grow some more about this priesthood. And I did that by joining the deliverance team on this church. And this was a team that would take, interview people, and uh, we would take them into separate rooms, Sunday school rooms. And we had a manual, it was called Strong Man, What's His Name, What's His Game, by uh, the Robertsons. And we would proceed to cast out demonic spirits if they were there. And we would use prayer, and we would have them pray. And we'd we use prayers of blessings. So prayer now took on a different form. It sort of, the priesthood slipped into deliverance work. Then a lot of times at the altar, because I was on the deliverance team and the prayer team, if at the altar a Satanist came, a witch came, somebody was suicidal, who had cancer or something like that, they would call us. Because they believed that sometimes there were spiritual things at work in the life, and we have the authority and the responsibility and the permission, and were anointed by God and the pastor to perform uh, certain types of prayers. The regular prayer team could not do what I did. And um, because they couldn't talk to these kinds of people. We weren't allowed in the sanctuary to cast out anything. The pastors did not want a lot of scenes going on and disruption. So we would take them in the back room and we would bind them up according to Matthew 18 and 18. And then what we hoped we would tell them is, look, you got some problems. You need to go home and talk to your pastor. Tell him you need some deliverance. If he doesn't know what that is, have him call the coordinator and she'll help him. <clears throat> but they were mostly visitors. And so we would tell them, don't do a lot of praise and worship. These things get stirred up. And we want your pastor and you to deal with it. Because what was happening is there was such an anointing in the presence of God there that things that had been in people for probably generations had not experienced this powerful presence in this church. And they would say, but this doesn't happen in my church. And I go, yeah, I know. Didn't know why. Didn't know what was going on. Didn't know why the presence of God was there or not. And we had a, a guy that came, he was Jewish, came from New York, got in the baptismal font. He said he had heard God was at this church. So he left New York and came down here. And I said to myself, no, wait a minute. There are more churches up there of every faith. Isn't God there? But I guess he wasn't. So people were in churches. We used to call them dead churches. He was there, but sort of not there. We had witches coming, trying to do spells, and witches coming, trying to kill the leaders, and we had gang members coming and all kinds of things. And on the deliverance team, you dealt with all of that. And on the prayer team, you dealt with all of that. And our job was to get people to the Lord. And I remember this one guy, he had a machete, and he came. He was high on crack cocaine, I think. And the altar time came, and he wanted to get saved. And he got halfway there, and he fell down on his knees. His hands went behind his back like he was tied and bound. And I went and got him and dragged him to the altar 
so him and God could take care of business. I was a very tough person. I don't look like it. Very short, 5'2". But I was never afraid of that. I knew God was working. This was his work. And so I was becoming a priest. I was going to get those people to God. I was going to let God touch them. But at the same time, I knew there were days when I needed to minister to God. And when you, min when you are a minister for God and to God, you have to recognize what His purposes are. And how you minister to Him is you want to make Him happy. So some days I would wake up and I could feel a sadness that His church was dead and not working and not reaching the rest of the world. There were days he was angry and mad because he was mad at his kids. They were in the flesh. They were not doing what they were supposed to do. They were not loving with his love. And so some days I would just stay at home and I would minister to him. There were nights when he would say, "Could you, I know you're going to church. You're going to work for me. You're going to be on the prayer team. I know all that and I love it, but I'm kind of lonely. Could you just stay at home and have a date with me? Could you just sit and read my Psalms, think about me, come up to the throne room, just be with me, okay? So there were days he was lonely. And so in developing this priesthood within myself and this deep relationship with God, one of my tests that I had to take, well, there were several of them. The first one that I can remember is I'm out cutting the grass, and I'm just cutting the grass, praying to the Lord, and I go to the throne room, which I always did spiritually, but he wasn't there. The throne room was empty. There was nobody. And I went running around the throne room looking for him, could not find him. So for three long days in prayer, I could not see him, sense him, communicate. He was not anywhere. Now, at that time, I didn't know, but he was hiding himself from me. And what he was asking me, which I learned, was what was most important to me. Being anointed to do the prayer team being anointed to do the deliverance team, having a ministry and helping people? Or was he just enough? What was important? If I And I had to say, sir, I don't care about being on the prayer team. I don't care about being a priest. I don't care about doing deliverance and helping people. All I want is your presence in my life. And if that's all I get, and I never have a ministry, I am never anointed to do any ministry, that's okay. Because I was put into a choice, the ministry or him. The ministry or him. The anointing or him. Being a priest or him. Helping people or just him. Every person is going to be challenged with that test. It'll be different ways, and they will see which one is the most important. And I knew that he had to be my everything. And if he never gave me anything to do, no anointing, no ministry, that was okay. 
So that was one test. Another test to be this priest and to be one with him, to minister with him and for him to humanity. To be able to come deep into the throne room was we were, my family was going to Canada to the family cottage. Husband bought some fireworks down here, hit them in the car. When, when you go through customs, they ask you, do you have any fireworks? And somebody said, oh no, so he lied. Now you can buy fireworks in Canada, but they're more expensive. So here comes 4th of July, it's fireworks time. Now I did not put them in there. I knew that was wrong. I knew you could buy them, but husband's family was very money conscious, very, everything was based on how much it cost and trying to rip off the system. So I get up to Canada and it's 4th of July, fireworks time. We have little sparklers and stuff. And God says, you can't go out there. That stuff was brought into the country illegally. He could have paid duty taxes on it, but he didn't. He lied. And if you even go out there and enjoy the pleasure of something that's illegal, that has been brought in illegally for greed, you cannot be one with me. You cannot have any pleasure out of it. You can't even go and look at the sparklers. Can't be a part of the family having fun. I said, yes, sir. I went up to my room, put on headsets for two hours. I praised and worshiped and prayed. Didn't look out the window at a firework. He was checking me out to see if I would obey. Did I want to take pleasure? You'll learn in some of my writings when I talk about lust. I don't have to do the thing, but if I take pleasure in something that somebody else does and get enjoyment, then I'm just as guilty as they are. And God was separating me out from people and things, ideas and concepts through personal experiences. Because he had to keep checking you out. What was more important? The law had to become very important to me. So things were, lots of tests were happening to help create this relationship where God could trust me. He could put more anointing on me. I could talk to him. I could be with him. He could use me to talk to other people. Okay, lots of tests. To, you know, he'll decree and say something to you that he wants to do with you. Then he'll get you ready through education and understanding. And then you'll get tested to see if you go his way or if you've changed and before he will really allow you to be his high priest and minister the blood and hear your prayers. Another test I had to take about prayer and priesthood was in the church. All this, remember, is usually in the church if you're in the church. Uh, the pastor said, that let's get uh, with our most trusted prayer partner. Okay, so I saw pastors get with visiting pastors, not, and I said, shouldn't the pastor's most trusted prayer person be his wife? I saw strangers get with strangers, so I said, no. I'm just going to turn around on the pew, and I'm going to pray with my most trusted prayer partner, the Holy Spirit. 
because he prays for me even when I don't know what to pray for. He's with me. He's helping me. He is my partner in prayer. So I turned on the pew, kneeled down, and I prayed. Okay, so a few minutes after that, uh, the pastor again says, Hey, God did not tell me this, but I think it's a good idea. Let's all get in groups of 12, because 12 is a very authoritative number, which probably happens to come from that there was 12 sons. And let's pray for revival and marriages and healings. And let's raise our voices up to God. And I said, Sorry. Oh, okay. God didn't tell you to do that. I'm not going to do it. Because I'm only going to do what Jesus does. And Jesus said he only does what he sees his father doing. So I ain't going to do this. So a lady came to me and said, Would you like to join our little group? I said, No. The Holy Spirit won't let me. I turned around again. And I, um, oh, excuse me, before I go there. On the first part of that story, where it was about pray with your most trusted prayer partner, I actually heard the Holy Spirit say to me, trust no man. I knew that was the word. So when I heard that, to the pew I went. All right. So now, here I am back on the pew again, by myself, kneeled down in a dress, head on the pew, eyes closed. And I start praying, Dear Father, please reach out to humanity. Touch them and heal them and set them free from Satan. Next thing I know, my spirit is up in the throne room. And I see it. And I see him. And he says, Daughter, look down there. What do you see? And I actually looked. My eyes were closed. I'm leaning... And I looked down, and I could see 2,000 people in groups of 12 praying. I could hear the, the sounds coming up. I knew that was the church I was in. He said, sir, I see 2,000 people down there praying to you for healings and deliverance and marriages. He says, I don't hear them. I go, what? He said, I don't hear them. That's not of me. I didn't tell that pastor to do that. That's all flesh. These people are following the pastor, another voice. I am not responsible for hearing them. I go, but sir, they're praying to you for other people, priesthood. I says, so? Unless I told the pastor to do this, I am not responsible for hearing the prayers. Because it's not of me. They're not in sync with me. And I, I said, sir, but their hearts are so pure and they, they love people and they want you to touch me. I know. But I don't have to hear that. Now, I'm not responsible for listening to that because that's a flesh prayer. They followed another voice. I did not direct them to do this. My heart was sad. I learned a valuable lesson about the priesthood. Unless you do what the Lord tells you to do, you pray the way he tells you to pray. When he tells you, and you're praying his purposes, he ain't listening. Don't matter how much you pray, it's just a soulish prayer. And it's a flesh prayer. It's not a prayer of the Spirit. My heart was sad for those 2,000 people believing that God was hearing them. Another lesson about priesthood. So I had to learn 
Well, it's God's purposes that I'm to be praying. It is, he says, only, I watch over only my word that I speak. And it's only my word that I fulfill. So I had to learn what he was saying. So I found Isaiah 61 and 62. So when I would pray with people, I'd say, Father, your word says that you sent your word to heal people and that your word would not come back to you void. Father, fulfill your words of Isaiah 61 and 62 in their lives. You watch over those words. Place them in their life. Fulfill them. Because it's only your words, your desires, your heart, your intent that you watch over, that you do. And I know, Father, that your word is going to come back to you full of fruit and glory and righteousness that you want. So I had to learn that I could only pray what the word says. I had to learn his heart's desires for humanity. I had to learn his word and where he was saying, this is why I came. This is why I sent myself. This is why I have the sacrifices. So when you're becoming a priest unto God and to sit in the priesthood spiritually, you have to be very in tune to the word, to the spiritual what is going on? Is it a flesh prayer? Is it a soul prayer? Does this line up with what God wants for people? Because we know a lot of people pray. They don't hear God's voice. They get no answers. Nothing changes. And so we all make excuses for it. And when we don't hear, we then turn to the world for help. Because we don't want to believe. I had another experience. I was in a training in the clinical pastoral education classes in a hospital. And the psychologist who was over it, I was telling him the reason the people were sick in the hospital, it's due to sin. Because sin has consequences. And death was at work. And he didn't believe it. That all these people were sick because of sin. Yet he was a Presbyterian pastor and a psychologist. So we didn't get along at all. But I looked at sin. I had to study sin. I had to study sickness. I had to study diseases. I had to study death. I had to study poverty and lack of resources in the world like water or grounds and droughts and plagues. I had to look at all of that. I had to look and see at where is it coming from? Who is responsible for this? Is this an act of God in a form of judgment? Is this an act of Satan as far as he has rights to do it? Was this the earth itself responding back? I had to study and pray, get answers, because sometimes I go, God, are you behind this hurricane? Okay, if you are, there's nothing I can do. You are doing judgment. And I'll use the one that was pretty big here. It was called Katrina. And there were people up on bridges and stuff, and I said, God, why don't I feel any sympathy 
for these people. I don't understand. He said, why should you? I sent the hurricane. There was too much sin in New Orleans and Louisiana. And I was cleansing it and dealing with it. And from that, a lot of people dispersed from Louisiana and they went into other churches. Okay. I said, okay, you behind it. There ain't nothing to, I'm not going to pray against it. Do your will. Okay. Other times, Satan is behind it to attack. So I had to learn as a priest, and I had to learn to ask, who is behind this event? There's always a purpose for it, because everything has rules and purposes. So as the ancient priesthood, I was developing a lot. I had to have education and knowledge. I had read a great book by Miles Monroe about prayer. And he talked about the hindrances to prayer, why prayer was not answered, and what uh, holds up prayer, and what kind of different prayers there were. And a lot of people have written books, and they've done sermons about prayer. I watched them all. And then I'd go to the book, and I'd read the Psalms of David, who were prayers to God. I would watch Moses talking to God. And what I did was I said, God... Some of these guys in the Bible had different and special and close relationships with you. You were in a partnership with them. You talked to them. They talked to you. I wanted that above everything. I saw he was a talking God. So what I did was in my studying to be a priest, I read all the stories of Adam, Noah, Moses, Joshua, David. I studied all the prophets and the priests. I saw that they lived different lives. They had some different kind of relationship, and I wanted that. And I knew you needed that in order to be a priest to help other people. So I recognized that a lot of people were saved, but they didn't have the faith. They didn't live the life. They were still, their spirits were still babies. They were at a baby level. And they didn't know how to pray. And so this ancient priesthood, I had to study. I had to study how to properly handle the blood of Jesus. I had to know about the sacrifice of that lamb. I had to know about why it was sent, when it was sent, what the purpose is. I had to see the lamb talking to the Father. I had to see that the lamb volunteered before even time began to die. Why? to save humanity, to save children for this Father. I had to see agape love was the bounds and the bounds and the binds and the ties and the yokes. And every prayer had to be for agape love. Then I had to study Jesus Christ very carefully. And I had to learn that he became the great high priest. And he actually went into the throne room for us who couldn't go at the time to take his own blood, to administer to the Lord this blood that brought mercy and compassion. And he took himself. And once he did that, then the veil opened up and we could all go into the Holy of Holies. And at the same time, God could come out because he was trapped for a long time because of the flesh. So if you have flesh in you, which we all do, but it's supposed to be getting less and less, 
God is trapped, even though he's inside of you. The veil is torn, but he can't come out. He won't come out to the flesh. He won't work with the flesh. He will t try to teach it, renew it, reconform it, and shape it. But that's a battle and a half, let me tell you. So, I had to learn how to study prayer and its role in the priesthood. I had to learn how to become a priest and minister unto God when he needs it. I had to learn his word in order to speak it back to him, to remind him of his promises. I had to learn the people and why they needed to have this intermediary. So when they came to me and asked for prayer, I could also do counsel with them. I saw they were not hearing. They wanted help, but they were not getting it. They didn't have the relationship. So that helps you to learn that you must study prayer, sin, God's purposes, all the people in the Bible that had a deep relationship to God. You have to study the priest and the priesthood. You have to be anointed that God will bring you in. You have to have a certain mindset. You cannot go with the herd. You have to trust God. You have to have a relationship with God. You have to understand, like Jesus said, my Father is here in me. He is always working. He is doing His work. This is His work down here. And we are to help Him. And we're to minister to Him on behalf of the people. We are a priest and a minister of reconciliation between God and humanity. We're to know how to handle the blood of Jesus. We're to know how to handle people's prayers and requests. We're to practice praying with people, be on churches' prayer teams, take classes in intercession and prayer, study the priesthood, study the Old Testament and the temple, study what it meant to be a royal priest, a royal nation unto God for humanity. Learn about the different kinds of prayer, the, the role, the responsibilities of the priest. Very serious. Very, very serious. You, they are held as, long, as much as a prophet, a priest, and a teacher. Very, very serious. And they will be judged more seriously. And it's not that man can recognize you and can ordain you. But if that is all it is and it's not God and you don't have that spiritual relationship, that spiritual knowledge and education, doesn't mean you have to go to a Bible school, or go get a master's or read Greek and Hebrew. I don't. But the relationship between you and God has to be a certain kind that you are here for Him. You are here to minister to the lost for him. You are to handle the blood of Jesus correctly. You are to use your priest powers to heal people, which is his anointing, his word. And you're to use your priest's role against, like Moses did, the demonic spirits, 
that hold people captive. That's the power of the priest. The priest was the healer. He was the mediator. He handled the blood, which washed away sins, brought in forgiveness, mercy, very powerful position. You must study it. And I did for years, and I still do. And I have to be very cautious with my prayers. I have to correct people when they go, my church, or they go, I have to do this. I have to undertell them, it's not about you. It's not about you getting what you want. This is about him getting for the kingdom of heaven what he and the kingdom want. So I hope you enjoy this ancient priesthood teaching. lot to study. You can use many, many historical books. You can study the people. You can watch how it got morphed into many different strange things. We have priests all over in every religion. We have them everywhere in all faiths. And they all got different responsibilities, but they are the go-between between God and man. They're the ones you go to for help. So I had to learn how to help people by being a priest. Learning about the blood. Learning about prayer. So enjoy. I hope to get this up today. Got to go to Walmart and get some things. House is quiet. So enjoy. Keep learning and growing. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at Pastor Deborah at Agape Love. Love is here. And I will answer you. I'm also out on LinkedIn at Pastor Deborah. Enjoy. Make comments. Subscribe. And you'll get notified of all the new. And I have probably maybe 50 of these basic classes to get up yet. Then hopefully I can get into the intermediate classes, which is more personal experience. Once you get the basic education, then we can go into the advanced where we're actually doing lots of the work. So right now you're just studying, you're going through school, getting basic stuff to look at. So I hope you enjoy and you keep growing and learning and how to help people the Lord's way. Love, Pastor Deborah. <clears throat>